We'd like to dedicate this week's episode of Crime Writers On to our good friend Merritt Fowler and her Penty. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Looking for a new fast-paced, nail-biting thriller to fill the Dexter and Hannibal-shaped holes in your life? Check out Hangman, a new novel by Jack Heath. Hangman introduces a darkly mesmerizing FBI consultant whose skill at finding criminals comes at a price. Every time he saves a life, he takes one. Hangman is available on Audible and everywhere books are sold. Visit bookclubbish.com to learn more about Hangman by Jack Heath and start reading today. Why is your hand in my sack? What? You got my, you've got my snack pack. Oh, a snack pack. My kind snack snack yes. pack. You can try 20 kind snacks when you join the snack club. Enjoy 50% off and free shipping from your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club Kind's monthly snack subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash crime for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash crime to learn more and subscribe to the snack pack. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we review the RFK Tapes, the podcast that puts a conspiracy theorist behind the mic to talk about the assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. We'll also unpack those final two episodes of In the Dark, Season 2. And along the way, Laura Bricker might have a series of strokes, a heart attack, or fall into some sort of rage-induced coma. Joining me now with defibrillator in hand is my true crime co-author and real-life husband, Kevin Flynn. Good evening, Kevin. I'm ready to serve. Uh, in underwear only. Can you just tell me what's going on <laughs> hey, over there? There is no air conditioning in Studio C. It, uh, it's not ooh. Studio AC right. at all. So, like, like normal. Is, I, that a, uh, is that a little fan? No. No. Who has a little fan going? I think that's Toby's little fan you might yeah. be hearing. Oh, okay. In order do do stick- you want me to turn it off? No, uh, no. I, I want you to bring it over. Listen, Jesus Christ. It's 100 degrees out. I think our listeners can deal with a tiny bit of fan noise tonight. Uh, and just okay. know that Kevin and I may actually die of heat stroke while recording this podcast. You need to take your pants off. Nope. But I am saying, like, if anybody wants to support our podcast at, like, the $1,000 a month level at Patreon, <laughs> maybe we could, like, move this studio into, like, a cooler space that's temperature controlled and yeah. we would not suffer Quietly so much. temperature controlled. That's the problem. <laughs> and yeah. finally with us is the author behind the brilliant series of novels called The City Trilogy and our resident cynic and book club wrangler, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, guys, you, I... Uh, you skipped me. I did? You're right, you did. I did. I know, I was Shit. Off. <laughs> Shit, sorry. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I thought I'd already introduced you. Sorry, I'm going to do it again. It's because I butted in. I'm sorry. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and amateur feral cat rescuer, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. It's all in. I've reached a new level of catdom. <laughs> we know. Now, guys, I have an announcement for you about uh, our next episode, which will be airing in two weeks. I know one of the things we'll be talking about, so I'm just like giving you the alert now that you need to uh, watch it so we can talk about it. Um, we are going to be discussing the first couple of episodes of the HBO series Sharp Objects. That, of course, is based on the novel of the same name by Kevin. Is it Gillian it's or Gillian, Gillian Flynn? Gillian Flynn. Are you sure? Yep. 
All right, Gillian I've heard Flynn. People say it differently. So have I. Those other people were wrong. It's actually <laughs> Gillian. Yeah. Well, um, and if you have a podcast, listeners, or TV program you'd love to hear us review this summer, make sure to let us know because we're only releasing episodes every other week. So we're probably going to be talking about like two things every episode. Is probably how it's going to go, unless some like huge news breaks in true crime. You can send us an email at crimewriterson at gmail dot com. But uh, before we get into our content, there is one thing that we need to talk about. That is a little, a bit of a diversion. All right. Um, Laura Bricker. Yes. I have seen a lot of photos of you that you've been posting on social media with some mangy ass cat. <laughs> yes. What the hell is going on? Well, here's how it all started, Rebecca. I was like at my sink one day and I looked out the window and there's this cat just like sitting in my driveway staring at me. And I'm like, Ken what the fuck? There's like a Stephen King cat in our driveway. <laughs> it's like some pet cemetery cat. So this is probably like three and a half weeks ago now. We keep seeing this cat, but it's like running away, running away. So finally, I'm like, I'm going to get this cat. So I get a picture of it. I have conducted a full scale investigation of the cat. I have gone through the entire neighborhood. The, all this. No, it's no, it's somebody, I think, just abandoned this cat. Um, so he is now living in, Stephen King is now living in my barn. Mm-hmm. While I am awaiting Betsy, um, you may remember Betsy. She got us Stampy, our beloved Stampy. She's the feral cat rescue woman. Um, she's a little backed up because there's been a lot of feral cats um, procreating. Right. Right now. Recreating. Whatever I wonder they're doing. why. I've seen a photo. Stephen King the cat has a giant set of balls, Laura Brigger. He, yeah, Stephen King needs to have. <laughs> he's intact. He's going to have a, yeah, that's what they said. Well, it's, she's like, are you sure? I'm like, listen, Betsy. He's got balls. Like when he walks, he kind of like dips down. <laughs> You're like, listen, okay. Betsy, a hundred people on Twitter have told me that he has balls. So they have to he be balls. He has balls. But he's a very nice cat, um, despite his big balls um, and his, his issues. <laughs> he's very mangy. Um, so I don't know. There's there's a great debate in the, uh, the household right now because um, Betsy's like, well, he'd probably just like to live in your barn. And uh, Fireman Ken is like, no. Mm. Um, he's like, when I met you, I had one cat. That cat died. We got two cats. One of that, those cats died. We got two more cats, bringing us to three. Yeah. Now we're going to have four. So stay tuned because um, unfortunately, Zelda, the weirdy cat that we have in our house who doesn't like anybody, really likes Stephen King. Kevin, you're not so, a cat person. I'm not. What do you think should happen here? Uh, with what? Well, like the, should Laura get to keep nuts? this cat or not? Oh. Uh, I, I would say, you know, Fireman Ken has been through a lot with you, Laura. <laughs> really? And yeah, and I'm saying, if Bridget from Flinttown could give up her dream of going to the FBI <laughs> for her man Robert, then I think you could give up your dream of having a fourth cat <laughs> for the sake of your marriage. Yes, but what does having a fourth cat hurt anyone? Laura would be moving away to be with the fourth cat. And, and it wouldn't even really, you wouldn't even know it was here because it just lives in the barn. Right. Killing vermin, doing a job. It'd be a cat yeah. with a job. Yep. I think he should, he should uh, haunt the barn. <laughs> haunt the barn. Yeah, it's three to one. Three to one. Uh-oh. <laughs> so stay tuned. Stay tuned. He's, he's got the snip coming on Thursday. So uh, I'm told he'll be a very different cat after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe on Zelda will levels. change her mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Kevin, we have one of these that we need to get through. Love mail. We got an amazing listener email this week. And this is like peak 
podcast fan listener email. Mm-hmm. This was from a man who also sent a photo. And I'm just going to say up front, he is very handsome. I come to Bay St. Louis a lot. Food for $1 with a fuel top off, he says. My plane broke down today, so I decided to head into town with a crew car in search of the mythical yoga loft above the bodega. (laughs) I found the corner, he writes. Unfortunately, the owner wasn't in. Not the greatest selfie, but I had just had an awkward encounter in the bar, and I was trying not to make it obvious as I was taking a photo from Lieutenant Derek Derelict Green. So we have a listener mm-hmm. who's in the military. He's a pilot. Yep, Navy pilot. Yep, and he occasionally flies to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. Which, by the way, for the yoga, I think for super fans of our show, you know that the current Patreon sponsor, who's like named our studio, is the owner of the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. This handsome pilot lieutenant made an extra trip to just see the door. Of the person currently sponsoring our studio, and we're praising him for this. I, if you, or we should feel have, sad for him. Have you seen his photo? It's I a pilgrimage. Seen, uh, it's a pilgrimage. I'm all over it. it you know why? I mean, it, it was almost fate because next to the yoga loft was like some sort of parrot head bar. Yes, that's right. And I was like, this is fate right now. Yeah. Now, if you subscribe to the Crime Writers on email, um, you will have seen a photograph already of that's right. uh, Lieutenant Derelict. Derelict. Yeah. Green. Derek, derelict green. He's very handsome. Toby, what do you think? Is this like this guy out of his damn mind? No, I highly encourage it. <laughs> if you're in Bay St. Louis, <laughs> stop by the yoga loft. You know who's never going to go to Bay St. Louis? Laura Bricker, because she's never stepping a damn foot in the state of Mississippi. <laughs> well, that's not true. If somebody is running against Doug Dog Evans, I will be down there. All right. You're going to uh, pass out flyers, hang up posters, do door door knocking. Yeah. sign, yeah. I'm going to be on the campaign trail. That's actually super interesting. If like some one of our listeners decided to like run the campaign for Doug Evans' opponent, <laughs> Laura Bricker could be the fiscal agent and campaign <laughs> manager. <laughs> That'd be fun. All right. Well, we are going to like flip the script a little bit this week and do our main topic podcast review in the first half of the show, only because we really want to save our conversation about In the Dark for the second half of the show for time. So uh, we're going to discuss now the RFK tapes. Uh, this podcast comes from the creators of Crime Town. The RFK tapes is an audio documentary that takes a look at the 1968 assassination of Robert F. Kennedy. For 50 years or so, authorities have claimed the case was open and shut. Sirhan Sirhan was captured at the scene, gun in hand. He admitted to the crime and is serving a life sentence. But some say there's evidence of a larger conspiracy. Sirhan Sirhan was locked away. And all the evidence collected by police, photographs, bullets, and hours and hours of witness recordings, that was locked away too. We've done it because someday somebody, for purposes best known to themselves, is going to try to prove that Sirhan didn't do it, that this was a conspiracy. We knew it would happen. Well, 50 years later... It wasn't an investigation at all. It was a big cover-up. It's happening. So the RFK tapes is going to be 10 episodes long. There are four or five episodes out now, depending on how you count them. They include rare recordings, new interviews with people who were there to try to understand what happened and this assassination. And, of course, the host is Zach Stewart-Pontier, who we know from Crime Town. 
and Bill Kleber, who we'll talk about in just a second. As usual, we will be discussing spoilers from the RFK tape. So if you would like to just listen to our thumbs up, thumbs down, spoiler free review, look at the timestamp indicated in the show notes. Now, Toby, uh, we've heard the story about RFK's assassination. We've seen the film. Um, how aware were you before listening to these episodes about the sort of mainstreamness of the conspiracy theories around RFK? I did not know that there was any conspiracy theories around this. I kind of seemed like it was one of those, like you just don't, you don't hear a lot about it, even though as I've found out, there are people who talk about it mm-hmm. who are credible. Yeah. yeah I, I wouldn't say it's a mainstream conspiracy theory at all. JFK has is a mainstream conspiracy theory. People know about that. RFK, I mean, this seems really out there because you know, as they set up in the beginning, Sir Hans Sir Hans shot him in front of a whole bunch of people, including some celebrities. Yeah, and there was Rosie video. Greer and <laughs> yeah, but it, it'd be. I mean, the, the thing that I didn't understand, I guess, was how sort of chaotic and crowded and confusing, like the actual the actual event was like mm-hmm. when he was shot. I, I pulled up this Washington Post article from fairly recently about how RFK Jr. Uh, went to visit Sir Han Sir Han and, and like definitely buys into the fact that, you know, there are questions that need to be answered mm. that he doesn't think it was Sir Han Sir Han by himself. So anyway, um, I think, you know, one of the things I thought was weird after reading that was, you know, this is kind of, he sets this up like, you know, it's just so weird that my dad happened to have this tape that was from this guy who has this conspiracy theory. And then, you know, we go and we talk to, you know, and then there's Allard Lowenstein and, and all this stuff. But in fact, you know, it's not really just this one guy in upstate New York who has this theory. It's like a larger, it's, you know, it's something that more people are kind of aware of and, and buy into. So it, it seemed... Like beyond the fact that maybe that was his introduction to it mm-hmm. or conspiracy theories in general, like you're definitely left with the impression, at least I was, that here's this guy who by himself has kind of pulled together this this conspiracy theory and that that's not actually the way it is. Right, right. Well, he does have all the tape, though, which is super interesting. And he sort of made it his life's work to pull all this material together. And convenient for that, for the uh, Totally podcast. convenient. <laughs> and I, I just want to talk about like the the structure of it and the way they sort of make this change between episode one and two. I mean, I think that Zach introduces Bill Kleber. He does this great uh, little piece of narration where he talks about having first been introduced to the idea of this conspiracy theory sitting in the backseat of his dad's car and listening to the radio show, mm-hmm. the fringe radio show that Bill Kleber made. Right. And then he goes to his house and interviews him, and it's sort of like, here's this weird guy, Bill Kleber, who has all this tape and is an RFK, lifelong conspiracy theorist. And then starting in episode two, boom, they just make Bill Kleber a co-host on the podcast. (laughs) And I thought either this is either super brilliant and efficient or absolutely bananas. I'm not sure which which side I lean on still. Yeah, I'm I'm still a little confused by the whole structure of the entire podcast because I was like, wait a minute. So we went to see this guy, the guy who looks like the guy from Law and Order, and and that was interesting. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> Sam Waterston, you know, yeah, yeah, I like Sam Waterston. Um, and then boom, like you said, all of a sudden in the next episode, he's there now as co-host. And I just felt like overall for me, like the narrative just seemed to kind of jump around. Um, I guess I would have, you know. 
know, if there was more of a sort of heads up, like, and now he's going to help me investigate in this podcast in a sort of a different way. Um, but it, it felt like to me, it's like they've got all this great tape and they're trying to figure out how to use all this tape. But in doing that, for me, I feel like the the narrative sort of flow mm. is is broken up quite a bit because we have some sort of random things in the middle and then we have this random woman in Texas, which they admitted wasn't really related. One off, yeah. But they had some good tape on her. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I, it, I guess it remains to be seen, but I, that was like the best line. So one of the best lines so far was like, and then he took a hard right on Conspiracy Street. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, he did. I have been there. Yeah. He did. And I have to say, I, I at this point in the show, now we're not halfway through yet, I kind of lean toward it being a good choice just to make, just to give him the mic. Because we could just listen to uh, Zach interview him and hear him say what he would say anyway, mm-hmm. or we could listen to him say it. And I just kind of think he has so much. Like, why not just why not just pass in the mic? I think in a different situation where it was a conspiracy theorist, she was it was like about Pizzagate or something. It might be a little bit different, like without the historical documentation. I don't know, Kevin. What do you think of that of that choice? Okay, now first of all, Bill is the one who, at the beginning of all the episodes. He's trying to figure out stamps.com because they're going to cancel his car insurance. And list, <laughs> right? Yeah, he's going to look clueless, okay. yes. Yeah, I think it's a unusual choice. Um, yeah, because it does feel a little bit like you're giving up your objectivity as a podcast producer by giving over the microphone uh, to one of the subjects and not providing like greater context. Like I completely missed that that that's who that was. Yeah. I mean because we hear him in the ads and like uh, you know, if you saw him on TV, you might recognize all of a sudden that his role has changed. But I just did not expect that he would suddenly be the the partner. I mean, right. one way of doing that if you want to bring him in is you could do it very much I'd say like Radio Lab style where it's two people and and Zach is asking him and and the rest of the, sort of the reporting and all the archival audio is sort of playing around them and you can tell very much the same kind of story Mm. but it provides the context that bill is not talking to us Mm -hmm. directly bill is talking to the interviewer right and sort of so there's that filter there right Um, this is efficient it's efficient yeah you admit but i will say in all (laughs) honesty he's good at what the story is telling He's doing it very well. <laughs> you know? I, I think he's been telling the story for a long time. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and then the way it mixes in and this and then you know, and then Vietnam happened and you know, it, Well, that's a specific thing I want to yeah. talk about about Bill is that I think they have to weave a bunch of history into this podcast. You know, I think about the history they weave in around Allard Lowenstein having been a congressman, sort of all the politics around Johnson and like the Democratic race for president. They have to work in all the Vietnam stuff. They have to work in like the whole Middle East stuff in the podcast. And they have to do that like very quickly because that's not what the show's about. How do you feel about the way American history is woven into this narrative? Do you think it's it's done economically and well? Or do you think that it's being given the short shrift because it's so economical? You know, I, I, I guess my feeling is, is that they're telling you just enough so that you have some context to what they're talking about. Um, but, you know, I, I think if, if you don't come in with some knowledge of that stuff, I think it would be... You know, pretty confusing, or at least the impression that you get is so sort of generalized and and 
just sort of not complex at all, you know, especially with Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think they're in a tough situation because you are talking about like, especially if the idea is, well, they had to get rid of Bobby Kennedy and why, or, you know, Sirhan Sirhan, he has this particular, uh, supposed beef with Bobby Kennedy. You could spend a lot of time on that Mm -hmm. to really explain it. Like if I was doing this podcast, I think I would fall into the trap of, well, I really got to explain this so that people really understand like what was going on then. And then it'd be this boring, like 15 minutes of what the deal was with Vietnam at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I, it's, it's a tough situation, uh, because of, of part of the argument, like sort of almost a tangential part of the argument they're trying to make. Um, so, you know, I don't think they do it really well, but I don't think it's critical for what they're trying to do to do it well. I think they're just trying to be like, okay, this is basically the deal. Let's get on with the conspiracy. Right. And we have a a leading sort of character around the conspiracy for the first few episodes, Allard Lowenstein. He's a former congressman, encouraged RFK to run for president. He becomes the central figure in the reexamination of the RFK assassination. You know, we hear about his tripwire for thinking that there could have been a plot being uh, the release of Nixon's hit list and realizing that he was on it. This like obscure former congressman. And then it's sort of what is his cosmology shaken, whatever Mm -hmm. that means. I like literally have no idea what that word means. Um, But he actually gets quite far. He actually is on mainstream TV shows. We hear him with with William F. Buckley on Mm -hmm. PBS. We hear him doing press conferences. We hear him actually engaging with law enforcement, bringing this conspiracy theory to the mainstream in a big way. Um, Laura, what did you think of this character, Allard, Allard Lowenstein? You know, we were with, we were listening to this. Ken and I were listening to this, and when he first started with his, um, you know, trip down conspiracy street here, Ken's like, "Oh, this guy's just got total PTSD, and he, he's not thinking clearly because he saw Bobby Kennedy when he was getting wheeled in the morgue." And you know, that may have played a role, I think, in in some of his mental state. I mean, that was obviously probably pretty traumatic to have seen this in the news, flown out. And then actually been there when they were wheeling him into the Waiting autopsy Waiting for the phone room. call from him and then finding out yeah. he'd been assassinated, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's a pretty traumatic situation to be put into. The thing that, that lends him some credibility, I think, is that the Kennedy family continued to embrace him. And when he was killed, um, I think, didn't Ted Kennedy speak at his funeral? Yes. So, I think if he was a real like wingnut that didn't, you know, that really was just spouting off and people thought he was full of shit, um, I don't necessarily know if the family would have continued to um, embrace him in that manner. So that was that was interesting. But it's like every time they said his name, and I don't know if this is just me, but all I could think of was like, remember that Prince of Tides movie? Yes. And, and the, the guys book. like, yes, driving over the bridge. And he's like, Lowenstein, yes. Lowenstein, <laughs> Lowenstein. I'm like, oh, fucking Lowenstein. Played by Barbara um, Streisand in the movie. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it was it was uh, it was really interesting to, you know, hear how this guy kind of took hold of this and carried on with it. And it was I, I kind of wondered what would have happened had he not been killed. So, Kevin, what do you think of Lowenstein as a character in this podcast? I thought it was really interesting. It was, again, it was great that they had a lot of tape of him so you could hear his uh, his point of view. And he was, you know, he was, he was so closely tied to um, the people involved as opposed to a, a lot of the conspiracy theorists, or just, you know, people that have really no personal connection. So he was good. And then, you know, 
obviously, you know, you're thinking, uh, if you don't know the, the history, you're like, oh, well, he must be dead now because they don't have an interview with him. They're right. relying on all this great tape. Uh, and then to find out the way that he died, where he was shot in his office right. by a former staffer, and how they also make that feel a little, hmm. Do you think that's a little hmm, or do you think it's just no? Like I don't think it's a little hmm. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think everything has to do with you know robot killers, right? Well, it is um, true that this is a guy who demonstrates <laughs> that he was willing to go out on a limb mm-hmm. for things. He was willing to be provocative. He was willing to kind of be you know in the front with stuff. And you could imagine how over time there might be people in his life who he could have rubbed the wrong way or maybe like, I don't yeah. know. Toby, what do you think of that idea that Lowenstein was killed because he was investigating RFK's assassination? I think that has absolutely zero credibility. <laughs> Surprise. You know, I mean, I mean, well, I, you know, who, I don't know the first thing about Allard Lowenstein beyond what I've heard here, but There's a zillion reasons why a former estranged staffer might have resentments or whatever. It's rational or not. And and the idea that it's somehow connected to this one thing that he's doing, you know, regardless of their past history and stuff like that, just doesn't seem realistic to me. You know, the thing I kind of came away with thinking about was, you know, if if you take... Uh, Lowenstein's position or the position I think of a lot of people, this idea that in one family you could have these two seemingly potentially transformative uh, leaders in this one family and both of them get murdered by sort of random lone guys with guns. Mm -hmm. I I think it's hard to digest that, that, that that kind of just two lone guys can can do that and, and and change history in that way. So it doesn't surprise me that people who are close to it would would look at it and be like, this just cannot it cannot be just random fate. Right. You know? it, it, there's gotta be something behind it. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that people like embrace conspiracies on on both ends of it. So, Toby, can I ask you a more specific question about it, though? Sure. What do you think of the conspiracy idea that Sirhan Sirhan was some sort of Manchurian candidate (laughs) robot killer? (laughs) So, it makes total sense in the context of, you know, 1969 or whatever, in that that is the kind of, you know, you have the Manchurian candidate, which is, you know, relatively recent in memory, and so that does seem like a possibility, but I, I don't know, you know, I'm not an expert in the science of this stuff, but you sure as hell don't hear about the potential of sending like, you know, hypnotically triggered murderers into the U S to, to kill people. I, I think that has been shown to be like, not necessarily all that realistic. So it seems to me like a relic of the time. Mm. Yeah. So you say it makes sense. You mean it makes sense in 1969 for people to believe that because exactly yeah 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 i should i should have been more clear yeah but you're you're exactly right i think in 1969 i just loved hearing toby saying that makes sense that was amazing (laughs) cutting edge (laughs) it's like the cutting edge you know the cutting edge assassination method yeah but you know i don't i don't think it i don't think it holds water now sort of like how in the 1950s all the photos of ufos the alleged photos all look like 
toasters and irons from the 1950s. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so tell me, when you were talking about how, you know, you were talking that the two, you know, two members of this family were killed. I mean, I think um, one of the things that always, when Rebecca was asking, like, are you familiar with this conspiracy theory about RFK? I think there's just this sort of overall, you know, and this mystique about the Kennedy family in general with, you know, JFK's assassination and the conspiracy theories around that and, um, you know, and then there's that whole um, weird thing about like the curse that was put on the family or something. Rem- Do you guys know about this? Uh, there is called a Kennedy family curse. I don't think it was. It, it was put on. No, they're supposed I think that by some like, you know, Native American tribe or what? something. What? That part so, I didn't hear. Okay, so so there's a lot of very interesting. So when you hear about family members dying, it's, that sounds bananas. <laughs> How many more conspiracies around this family could there be? Now, I, yeah. Ken told me this, and he's a big history buff, and he told me this. He's like, oh, yeah, there's that thing about the you know Native American people that put the curse on them or something. That um, explains everything. Yeah, there we it go. It totally does. <laughs> um, <laughs> Toby's rolling over in his future grave right now. <laughs> but there's, so, there's always appealing about hearing more about this family because there's so many, you know, and then... Did you guys watch that? It was like I think it was like a made-for-TV movie a while ago about um, Bobby and Jackie having an affair after yeah. JFK mm-hmm. got yeah. killed, and um, and now there's a new. If if you need to expand, like I did, because I was like, wait, what's happening? There's like a new four-part series on Netflix that just dropped like within the last week or two as well. Right. You know, it just. I mean, it goes to sort of you know the whole thing about the Kennedy mystique, and and even though this is a generation before us the four of us, it still resonates with those of us who follow history and political science and the news and whatnot. The thing is that, you know, we had a political figure who rose to the top. It was, it was in Jack Kennedy, who was young and, and had, it was, you know, handsome and, uh, and had a beautiful wife and a young family in the White House and just was just sort of, you know, this TV made president, uh, which is the kind of thing when people were young and they all wanted to aspire to something. This was sort of like, you know, the the, the picture perfect, you know, uh, representation. Now, in real life, it, it wasn't all so pretty, but it's but the it kind of thing. it was also potentially politically transformative, which was threatening to a lot of people. Well, I was going to say that when, when after uh, John Kennedy was killed and then later with Bobby Kennedy, I mean, a lot of people trying to find a reason why could that be? And it isn't, and it has to be more than just there was this lone assassin. There has to be some other bigger reason behind it uh, because I just can't accept that that's the answer, that this is that this is why uh, our dream is shattered. And I think that that's the kind of thing that, you know, fuels these kind of conspiracies. And you see it today with modern day politicians and about the things that they have done or the reasons that they've lost power and things that all these other people are conspiring against them, whether it's the deep state or the media or the vast Left, right wing, witch middle rings, which uh, you know, it's all these different things, and I think we 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 strive to find a reason for this kind of stuff, which is I think why certainly you, you know by now 2018 we've seen a lot of this already. We're right. we're battle uh, worn on a, a lot of these kinds of things, but you know, 1960s, early 60s our country really hadn't been through that kind of thing. And so it was new, and I think that's why it fuels people's interest in, 
you know, maybe there's something more than than just these one this one person that took away this important person. We got to hold somebody else responsible. Let's face it, too. There was a lot of and let's be real shady shit going on in the government before, during, and after this period in time. There was mm-hmm. the Vietnam War. There were the Pentagon Papers. There was the Watergate. There was just like this era of like a decade and a half of real things that happened that fueled a mistrust in authority and government and that Mm -hmm. made these things more believable because unbelievable things did happen in real life. I think that's kind of what all this comes from. That being said, I will just go back to something Toby said at the very beginning of this. I am surprised to hear in this podcast how mainstream, I I feel like listening to the people talk about this, this Robert F. Kennedy assassination stuff, even though it was a very small room, which a lot of people were present, it seems more like of an, a mainstream com- conspiracy than even the JFK assassination conspiracy stuff. When you actually hear that, what do you there mean was, by mainstream? I don't. I don't when know, I, think when I hear, I don't that, think you're using that term correctly. When I hear that that you know people who are the leading people behind the conspiracy uh-huh. were doing press conferences and actually getting law enforcement to answer questions, and the investigation was reopened, and then and there was all of this stuff about like missing evidence, and like, it seems more. Like it had been, it was legitimized a little bit more than the JFK stuff was. And I don't know if it was in reaction to the JFK stuff not being legitimized. I'm not sure why, but that surprised me. Mm. I think it also, you know, it happened in LA. And I don't think, I mean, the LA Police Department going back that far, I think, had a pretty dubious reputation as what? well. What? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, you know, I, I, I don't think that helped matters. Yeah. Right. That they're like burning pieces of evidence and. <laughs> You don't no. destroy evidence, Toby. You don't do that. Ever. Yeah. Ah, it was just, you know, waiters bumped into it with a with a tray mm. and put a hole in it the size of a bullet hole. It, it moved my cosmology. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> All right. Well, let's just leave it there and let our audience know. Do they think do we think this podcast is worth listening to? Lara Bricker, I would love to hear your take on whether or not you find the RFK tapes compelling. Should our audience listen to it? Thumbs up or thumbs down? What do you think, Lara Bricker? Um, this is when I went, wish we went back to like our, our number or our letter grading system. So I will say yes. Um, I mean, I'm not like totally enamored with it. It's interesting. I do feel like it kind of wanders around a bit and I'm a little confused in terms of where the narrative is going because like we had this guy that was the interview subject, now he's part of it. And there's some sort of um, tangents that happen in terms of like episodes, special episodes that aren't totally related, but they're all interesting. So if you want to listen to some really interesting tape from that time period, my favorite, absolute favorite part is, uh, and this is horrible, there's like this newscaster who like takes charge of the whole situation and he's like, get him, grab him, grab him. And I'm like, get the gun, Rosie. I'm like, oh my God, like, who's this guy? Like he's, and he was like all over it. He's like, get him down, take him down. It was, it was great. So, so it's interesting listening to the tapes from that time period. Um, If you, you know, I had to listen to this a couple times because um, it's not something that you can be like doing something else and listening to because there's a lot of detail. So Laura, is that a thumbs up or thumbs down? Um, That's a thumbs up. In the old days, it would be a thumbs sideways. Got it. Got it. Toby, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the RFK tapes and why? I'll give it a thumbs up. I, you know, I like this conspiracy stuff, even though I don't like really believe in it. But Mm. I think it's, I think it's interesting to hear how people put this stuff together and and the way people's minds work about making linkages and stuff. So I think I don't take the conclusions particularly seriously, but I think... It, it's interesting to hear how people come around to these alternate explanations. 
Uh, so for that reason, thumbs up. I'll keep listening. Yeah, I'm going to give it a mild thumbs up as well for exactly the same reasons Toby cites. I don't know where the podcast is going. I don't know if they're trying to make a compelling case that there was a conspiracy there, in which case my thumb may turn downward a little bit, or if we're just examining the phenomenon of the conspiracy theory. If the latter is the case, I actually kind of, the more I think about it, even in real time in this podcast, kind of love it that Zach Stewart Pontier handed the mic over to the like leading <laughs> conspiracy theorist. It's a very efficient and creative way to tell this story that some people may see as very fringe and just and just open the tent and like bring the person with all the material in. Um I don't know. I'm learning a little bit. I actually feel like the RFK assassination, we weren't alive then, Kevin, and I know that it's not true for people who were alive then, but for us, it's overshadowed by the JFK assassination and the Martin Luther King assassination. The RFK assassination is its a story that we haven't heard as much about, so I'm enjoying those aspects of the show. And the tape, the historic tape, is just freaking great. So for those reasons, I'm going to give it a marginal thumbs up. Kevin, what about you? I'm also a thumbs up, and I think we're all, I think the modifier on all of our reviews is uh, moderate, right? Well, I mean, these aren't like th- thumbs way up. I'm not buying the conspiracy story no. at all. Every time they come up with yeah. some kind of like amazing thing, I'm like, cool. Uh, <laughs> but I think the story is interesting in the way they're telling it. And, and certainly Crime Town has, it has a very crime, uh, uh, pretty much a Crime Town kind of feel. It, style. It, kind of, it kind of pulls a little bit from that sort of masculine style. I think we were talking about the other day about Crime Town would set it apart. It had sort of a bit of an attitude. A testosterone-fueled uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah, so the, you know that's kind of interesting. I, I don't know if the RFK tapes are the best representation of you know, the life and times of uh, Robert Kennedy. If you want, instead of the RFK tapes, maybe you want to listen to a good RFK audiobook, and that's why you should go to Audible. Oh, snap, you should. And maybe listen to something like Bobby Kennedy, A Raging Spirit by Chris Matthews, read oh, by the author. Perhaps you can. You're you're doing that? Is that what you're saying? No, perhaps you can. I mean, you can listen to another thing, too, which I may have ideas about. What's that? I would highly recommend the new book by my new favorite writer, Anthony Horowitz, The Word is Murder. This is the same guy who wrote Magpie Murders. I've talked about it on the show before. This is a brilliant mystery writer who's written in a ton of genres, including TV and film and other books. He's written Midsummer Murders. He's written James Bond books. Rebecca, you've, you've hijacked my ad. I'm sorry. You got to read The Word is Murder. <laughs> Listen to it on Audible. It's freaking great. Yeah, and, and now until July 31st, Amazon Prime members can get Audible for $4.95 <gasps> a month for the first three months. Remember, you get a credit for any audiobook in the store every month. So I got a credit. I got to use it. But they do roll over, right? They roll over, but I never roll any over. I use them all. I I I buy more. I use them all. (laughs) (laughs) What's good? Because if you don't like the one you pick, you can exchange it with no hassle. Plus, your audiobooks are yours to keep forever. Even if you cancel, you keep them with you. Go to audible.com slash crime or text the word crime to 500-500 to get started. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash crime. Crime. Or text CRIME to 500-500. Amazon Prime members can get Audible for four ninety five a month for the first three months. That's like getting three months for the price of one. After that, it's only fourteen ninety five a month. This offer ends July 31st, 2018. What else you got, Kevin? Well, you know, it's so hot this summer. It was super heat wave here we are, in the sitting, Northeast. You are literally wearing your underwear in our studio right now. Yeah, it's true. So what is the best way to get refreshed during the summer? Tell me. 
It's got to be a smoothie from Daily Harvest. That's a good choice. Excellent choice. Yeah, remember, Daily Harvest is a subscription service that makes eating healthy easy with delicious plant-based foods that are ready in as little as 30 seconds. Daily Harvest delivers perfectly portioned cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. All you have to do is add water or your favorite milk to the cup and blend it, heat or soak it. It's basically all the effort you have to do. It's a perfect thing to have on hand for those days when you don't have time to cook. Laura, you're a big fan, right? I am. I just I just re-upped my daily harvest for the summer oh. because I was, um, yeah, I would just wanted something easy during the day when I'm working and I'm like, oh, I don't have time to cook. I don't feel like cooking. It's super hot. Do you bring it with you to work? Um, well, I work at home most okay. of the time. So, <laughs> so uh, yes. yes. In fact, I do. She but brings it from the kitchen to the dining room. Oh, but sometimes you're out on the road. I just didn't know. I am. I am out on the road. Um, so I just got like some strawberry peach smoothies. Um, they have some apple and green smoothies. So so some of these are, you know, what I, you know, kind of lighter for summertime. But they all have these like all sorts of super healthy ingredients. And then they'll have this like what I call the wild card ingredient thrown in, which is something super healthy that I've never heard of. And oh, when yeah. I look it up, I'm like, I should totally be eating that. <laughs> Thank you. And now you are. And now I am. You can go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code CRIME Crime. to get three cups free in your first box. That's promo code CRIME Crime. for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. That's daily-harvest.com. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about the final two episodes of the excellent podcast, In the Dark Season 2, which means, Kevin, it is time for you to read this. The Brickter Scale! Of course, we have named our reviews and continuing coverage of In the Dark Season 2, The Brichter Scale, because Laura Bricker has some sort of medical event every time she listens to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Rage-induced comas, seizures, uh, heart attacks, strokes. Uh, So, yes. Something. So this week, it's it's required me um, to have a bowl of chocolate chips and wine. Yes. And oh. so what is that called, Kevin? The Brichter Scale. Chocolate chips and wine. <laughs> All right. Um, so we are, are on a bi-weekly schedule now, which means we have two episodes of In the Dark Season 2 to talk about the final two episodes of this season. I want to start with episode 10. This episode was called Discovery. Uh, this was an episode in which Madeline Barron outlines that prosecutors have always said, as part of their case, that Curtis Flowers was the only suspect in the tardy furniture investigation. But Madeline found a little document in the file uh, saying that another man had been questioned just days after the murders. And there were no notes from this interview, no transcripts, no reports, nothing. Just this one piece of paper. Right when I saw it, I knew it could be important. I made a copy of it and I wrote on it, who is this person? And circled my question in pink highlighter. I would end up spending a year trying to find this person, trying to understand what this one piece of paper meant. Okay, so this episode about discovery, um, it kind of starts with an example, which I think is a brilliant thing for Madeline to do. Instead of going straight into this whole discovery thing, Curtis Flowers, she sets up a pattern that Doug Evans' office perpetuated around discovery by telling us about this what I like to classify as a bananas rape case. Uh, Bobby Joan Townsend was the defendant's name. Um, he was tried for rape based on a single witness 
not only with no evidence, but actual exculpatory evidence that the prosecutor, a.k.a. Doug Evans' office, knew about and didn't disclose in trial. Kevin, what do you think of this of this rape case that we hear about in the podcast and sort of the consequences to a real person who was later uh, had his conviction overturned and then found not guilty because of Doug Evans' prosecutorial misconduct and not disclosing evidence? Well, I mean, if we needed a reason to think that Doug Evans would repeat a prosecutorial error, in multiple cases. I mean, I think, think we probably, I don't think any of us are surprised about that at this point. But it was it was quite um, uh, striking to find, you know, again, there's so many examples that are just like on point about, you know, here's some evidence. I mean, this so clearly. Uh, blatant. Blatant, I think yeah. that's the word you're looking for. I mean, even if, even if you don't, even if you're the prosecutor and you don't think that that, in your mind, proves that this isn't the guy. Because sometimes the stuff is like, yeah, that's that information that that evidence shouldn't be used, but this guy actually still did it, and you can get a conviction or whatever. But just to say, like, no, not only that, but I'm not even going to give it to the defense, right? Or I to think lie it's more- in court about saying yeah. that they, the lab never got back to me, when in fact the lab yeah. lab had gotten back to them and told them, yeah. And this ties also into the the final episode too, when we get about the gun. That it just you know it just seems like they made their bed and they're going to lie in it. They're like they're all, they're all in on Curtis Flowers to whatever extent they could to get evidence that they thought they could present at court and then to pres- then to defend that shaky evidence by any means. I mean, I just feel like Madeline Barron and her team is just sort of torn apart every shred of um of duplicity that the this prosecutor has has committed. So, Toby, uh, we hear Madeline say in this episode, and some, a theme that you've touched on before in our discussing of the season of In the Dark, um, there has been no punishment to Doug Evans or the prosecutors in his office for blatant prosecutorial misconduct, including Brady violations. Not just the kind of Brady violations that could make a jury potentially change their conversation, but in the case, like we heard, of this rape defendant, Bobby Joe Townsend, a Brady violation that actually shows that he did not do the crime, that perhaps no crime had been committed at all, and yet there's no consequences. What do you think of a system in which there are no consequences for prosecutors who are pursuing uh, these cases and perhaps some people in, in prison or in death row and there's just never any punishment? What do you think about that? I think it's awesome for him. <laughs> for Doug Evans? <laughs> yeah, I. you know, it, it's... I, I don't. I mean, I don't, I'm not really sure what more I can say about it, other than, especially if you're going after a capital case, it, you know, the idea that you could, and in his case, repeatedly, be caught, uh, you know, uh, you know, basically trying to set him up, trying to fix, trying to fix the trial, um, and the idea that what you're trying to do is murder somebody who, I mean, he's got to know that there's a hell of a lot mm-hmm. of doubt at this point. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, is there is there not, like, I guess I just don't know enough about it, but is, like, the, the Bar Association not have any kind of, you know, recourse against state's attorneys? I, I don't I, I don't. I understand. think they have to have, like, well, it, like, where we are, they'd have to have, like, a formal complaint to the what we have is like a professional conduct committee and then they'd have hearings and they'd you know so I don't has nobody made a complaint um, to that you know jurisdiction I don't know it seems insane yeah. if nobody has I quite don't honestly know. 
Although I think, you know, I, I think the other thing, and, and maybe we're getting ahead of, ahead of the conversation a little bit, but I do think the chilling effect of a lot of this is innocence is not mm-hmm. a protection there, right? If, 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 if the DA wants, wants you in, in prison or even ha- wants you executed, he can take the steps necessary to have that done. So, you know, whether he's doing that to get after his enemies, you know, I don't think there's any evidence of that. But I think that has to be in your mind is that it's not hard to get to get these to get innocent people put away in prison, apparently. So so whether that would keep you from wanting to speak out, especially if you're African-American in 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 that district, you know, I, I would imagine that that's yeah. something of a factor. Well, there are so many details in this episode, which basically actually circles around the search for this alternate suspect. Um, Madeline says there was one little booking document in the file with no police reports around it, around Willie Hemphill, whose name we hear how many times in the podcast, Kevin? About 57. His name was Willie James Hemphill. I wanted to know what was going on with Willie James Hemphill about Willie James Hemphill to Willie James Hemphill for Willie James Hemphill. 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 And I searched for anyone with the name Willie James Hemphill. This Willie James Hemphill. Another Willie James Hemphill. Man named Willie James Hemphill. The right Willie James Hemphill. It's a lot of Hemphills. There's so many they don't all fit in one page. What's the last name? Sure, it's Hemphill. First name. Willie? Yes. I think Madeline got paid for the hemp pill. I have to say, like, if there were a drinking game that would be, like, destined to kill people, it would be drink every time someone says the name Willie Hemphill in this podcast. It's, it's, Willie, like, the, it's like the John Smith yes, of Mississippi. Yes. It's like something. Charlie Brown. It's like you got to say the whole name. <laughs> well, I, I have said this before. There is um, complete democracy in this podcast. Madeline Barron uses first name, last name for everybody all the time, except for people who work on the podcast. It's our reporter, Parker. Uh, yeah. But it's Willie Hempel and it's Curtis Flowers and it's Doug Evans. I love that. I love that little style detail. But he uh, wasn't the only Willie Hempel. There were ten million of them, and they were. It wasn't. It wasn't John Smith. It was. It just, if your name's Hempel, you only got one choice. That was a crazy amount of work. Yeah, Willie James Hemphill. So Willie James Hemphill. L- Laura, um, we hear that uh, there's supposed to be more in the file. <laughs> um, just yes. briefly, as a defense investigator, can you just explain like what police reports are supposed to look like? And it's like, like what was missing that Madeline was trying to explain to us? Like, what's missing here? Um, the narratives from the police. So what I would so like just dreaming up what I would have expected to see based on what I've now heard Madeline report. Um, is we would have like a police report where like police officer says, I came to my attention that Willie Hempel, uh, blah, 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 uh, may have the Fila sized 910 shoes and was in the area and such and such person and such and such person reported seeing him. Next person. Um, then you would have perhaps some uh, narrative from the people that saw him in terms of what they saw. Then you would have um, a narrative about um, based on this information, the police went to such and such address at such and such a time, and we located him. And you know, they had their big, you know, crazy response that he talked about. Um, and then the thing that's really missing is um, they interviewed him, they questioned yes. him, they recorded him. Yep. Where the fuck is that? I mean, I, I just was like, I mean, so. And then he was in jail for eleven days. 
so much and and that so that's not uncommon so what they do i mean this happens a lot you have a case where somebody is a suspect um a lot of times unfortunately that person has had prior dealings with the law and they may have some sort of an old warrant so the police use the old warrant to hold the person while they're investigating so they know where the person is so that that didn't surprise me but the fact that there was nothing but the booking sheet right when clearly there had been like a whole side investigation was ridiculous. Right. And it's almost like it was a mistake on their part to leave the booking sheet in if they wanted to cover up this whole thing, right? Uh, yeah. I I was just like, how is there no information? And, and you know, sometimes depending on the police department, you might see, um, you know, even just attached to this police report, like they would have run the guy's record and that would have been in there. So I, I can't, I could not, this, this podcast, every time I think it has reached a new point where I'm like, the holy shit factor, like, I can't believe this just happened. It just gets worse. And um, that was, that was pretty bad. So Kevin, um, they get a tip, this reporting team with a tip from a court clerk, by the way, high five to court clerks everywhere. You and I have been <laughs> helped out by court clerks many times, yep. right? Yep. A uh, court clerk gives them a tip that all the files in this case or other files they might be interested in are stored in a decrepit moldering factory that they have to go to and wear masks and literally mice have eaten the stuff. No one's watching it. They can just walk in Mm -hmm. and as reporters thumb through a bunch of cabinets and files and find booking cards and records. Uh, Thoughts about Mississippi's filing system. Man, they store stuff in the weirdest places. (laughs) You know, all abandoned factories, abandoned jails. I just, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised. I, I just, you know, thought there'd be a better uh, archival uh, records retention system. I did love. I think that one of the best uses of sound in this whole podcast so far was some of the things they discovered there, including a very detailed record of a candy theft. Yeah, that's funny. funny. Oh my god, that was hysterical. And and you can just tell, like these reporters, they've seen some shit. And like this was such a relief to just to be able to like read this and like sort of laugh through it is wonderful. Um, but you know, before we move on, uh, let's just talk about Willie Hempill himself. They finally track him down after talking to like seventy four other Willie Hempills. We hear about his very violent criminal record. They actually have a chance to interview him in person, and we hear him on tape. And you know, it was interesting to me to hear his voice after hearing about all the horrible crimes he'd been accused of. But the first thing he says is. I was a suspect in these murders. Mm. I was a suspect. Well, it's interesting that he admits that he was a suspect. I mean, I know that seems like if he actually did it, he might not say, hey, yeah, they thought I was a suspect. But he seemed like that part was amazing. You know, what's ama- this whole thing where she's like, so they go to Indianapolis. They're trying to find him. He's in the court system. And then they sit down in court and he's like sitting next to them. I'm like, are you even kidding me? Um, I mean, she's definitely got sort of um, that reporter luck following her around in terms of being in the right place at the right time. But the fact that he was so willing to talk about it, either he's really stupid and doesn't think he's ever going to get caught or he, or he had nothing it. to do with it. Yeah, that was my know? feeling, too, because he was talking about he turned himself in. He was a suspect. He was this. I was thinking like, oh, this guy probably looked great for this, but he there's no way that he actually did it. He's talking yeah. about the investigation. He's not talking about trying to evade it. He never at one point said to Madeline, even though, by the way, we know he did all these other horrible, violent crimes, mm-hmm. 
He yeah. never said, well, they looked at me, but I wasn't the guy. He never said that. He just said they looked at me, mm-hmm. which to me says that he could have equally been railroaded by Doug Evans uh, at the same time. Now, Kevin, before we move on to the finale, um, can you please read this for me real quick? True Crime Podcast Update. Now, last Thursday, June 28th, Flowers attorneys added to their original appeal motion, arguing because of this podcast that stunning new evidence has come to light. They actually cite episode 10, saying that in 1996, the state interviewed, arrested, and held an alternative suspect in the tardy murders, William James Hemphill. Flowers attorneys cite episode 10 of In the Dark. They actually cite the podcast in this document uh, that, you know, Flowers' guilt was withheld, that that evidence pointing away from Flowers' guilt was withheld from the defense, specifically mentioning that Hemphill was booked into jail in Winona wearing Fila Grand Hill shoes and was held for 11 days. We've heard Madeline's reporting on this. The reporting, can we just all agree, is making a difference in this case. Yeah. Maybe. Yep. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's going to be really interesting to see if um, they end up on the witness list or if they try to subpoena their tape. I think that'll be interesting as well. Now, uh, let's talk about the finale, shall we? Episode 11, The End. In this episode, we hear a whole alternative theory of the root of the crime. Mm -hmm. Uh, We hear from somebody who finds a gun under his mother's house, or his dog found a gun, and we finally hear what the deal was with that one-eyed Willie tunnel tape. And this tunnel, it led under the train tracks. We stood at the end of the tunnel and peered inside. I'm just gonna, I'm just curious to take a look at this. Don't fall. All right, so um, there was a gun that was found that was turned into the cops. Uh, One cop denies that it ever happened, and then other cops, yeah, say that it happened. And then, by the way, the guy who found the gun also shows Madeline Barron in person a tunnel that could have easily been an alternative route to escape from this crime. Um, Kevin, thoughts on this entire sort of like slap in the face end of the narrative of this podcast? I'm always, I'm, it's, it, I've kind of like uh, given up like trying to guess or trying to, uh, <laughs> you know, keep an open mind to refute the, 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 the things that are being put out there like oh well why, maybe that why I'm is your get- instinct to do that I'm just curious like why is your instinct to always be like well maybe this probably is okay, this is an excellent podcast I think that unlike other ones it it can it, it deserves and can can withstand a higher level of scrutiny mm-hmm. okay and there have been times when I'll just say my critique of this of this entire series would be there are times that Madeline's reporting verges on advocacy and not journalism sometimes I thought it veered a little bit towards we're going to tell you this as opposed to tell you what the story is. Um, so, I, but you know, and also we've done these things and sort of things happen. And like, is this a, is, is X a big deal? I mean, or is it, you know, is it an honest mistake? Is it something that like doesn't really fit with the rest of the narrative? Is it possible that, yes, yeah, something could, every time that I come and I think of something like that, I just sort of like all of a sudden get boom, boom, boom. And, uh, you know, Madeline just, Kind she of ties it all together. She shows it. She, shows she brings it. around. You know, she figure out why she's talking. Why are we talking about how violent Cookie is? I'm like, I, I don't get this. It, boom! At the end, okay, I get it now. Because he killed three people. Yeah. So, th- so th- that's why, why are we talking about the ballistic stuff? Because the ballistics expert even says, I look at it with my eyes and just make a judgment call. Like there are reasons why they are doing everything, and here they found a person 
who had a story where like the gun he turned it into the he did yeah. the right thing. Yeah, no, it's an uh. excellent story, and it's you know it could be the murder weapon. We don't know. Maybe right. it is. Of course, we don't know. Is, but it's certainly worth a. It probably should have been in the file. Do the cops know? They don't know because they know. No, well, <laughs> does someone definitely believe? Does somebody who received that gun think that this gun should not be tested for some reason? Then yeah, because that one officer said I turned it into the DA's office so that it could get to the crime lab and the crime lab says it never came here so we know where it went laura thoughts about the i mean first we hear from the one cop who says it never Uh happened and then we hear from the cop who says oh yeah i was the one who pulled the guy over and he's the one telling about the gun and then we went and got the gun yeah no so you know i was listening to the the cop the retired cop and when she's so she's setting it up and she's like and he's retired now i'm like oh then he's totally gonna tell the truth and then he's like nope never happened nope that guy's got mental problems i'm like oh, this guy is in the Doug Evans camp. And I was like, oh, so discouraging. But then I really loved that the cops that she talked to, the captain and the police chief, mm-hmm. were like really straight up like, yeah, oh, yeah, we remember that. Yeah, we got the gun. Yeah, this is where it went. Oh, you should talk to this person, John Johnson, the Christmas tree king. Uh, I don't think I ever told you that, but there was a guy in my town, that John Johnson, the Christmas tree king. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> every time. So I appreciated how forthcoming the the cops in the small town were, and they were honest about it. Some and of the cops. Just, so in, yeah. in that in that particular situation, they were like, "Yeah, we they they acknowledged that this gun was there, that it went here, that it sh- would have gone to the crime lab." I I think that who knows that gun's in the bottom of a you know landfill somewhere, if you ask me. But but you know what? It's these people are so arrogant. It could be like sitting in like Doug Evans' office, and he's just so arrogant about his position and the fact that nobody is ever going to call him out that he never even got the damn thing tested. Um, you know, or I, I don't know I, that that part was ridiculous, but I loved. Oh my gosh! If you haven't seen it yet, you really need to go on their website, and they've also tweeted out the link to their video tour, and they call it a tunnel, but I'm going to call it a culvert because mm. that's really what it, it's like a big culvert pipe filled with water underneath the railroad tracks, and this guy who's so earnest giving his tour of where the gun was found under the house and through the tunnel over to the tardy furniture. Um, just incredible, incredible footage. Um, and I, I love the fact that the people in this town came to trust this this team to the point that they did. Yeah, the, the digital game of this podcast team, as a professional digital producer for a audio company, digital game for this podcast team is on point. It's incredibly on point. Uh, Toby, I, in the middle of this episode, Madeline Barron does... I, what I think is a, basically a, a very effective closing argument about Doug Evans, which is the second character in this podcast, which, as she has framed, has spent 20 years trying to kill Curtis Flowers. For nearly 22 years, over six trials, the case against Curtis Flowers has been prosecuted by one man, a prosecutor who told the court that he never had any evidence that pointed at anyone other than Curtis Flowers even though there was another suspect, Willie James Hemphill, a man who'd been held in jail for 11 days. A prosecutor who violated the U.S. Constitution when he struck black people from the jury. A prosecutor who put witnesses on the stand who were clearly not credible. Witnesses who'd given implausible statements months after the murders. A prosecutor who relied on the work of an investigator 
who didn't keep detailed notes, and a ballistics analyst who testified that he could be 100% certain of his conclusions, even when the science didn't support that. A prosecutor who used testimony from three jailhouse informants, all of whom have since said that they lied under oath and have said they got deals. Deals that Evans claimed didn't exist, including the state's star witness, Odell Cookie Hallman, a violent criminal who was treated with leniency, only to go on to kill three people. And this prosecutor, the elected district attorney, Doug Evans, has done all of this in plain sight in a death penalty case, and he's never gotten in trouble for any of it. Toby, when Madeline drops a closing argument like that, stringing together all the things she discussed in the podcast, like, can you imagine, I mean, I know how you feel, I don't know how like Kevin feels and how Laura feels and I feel about this guy and this case. Is it hard for you to imagine that somebody like in the Doug Evans camp, like what do you think they would think listening to this? Would that get through? Or do you think this is just so entrenched that like even that kind of cohesive, reporting-based, fact-based narrative closing argument, like like what do you think? Is this effective for us? Is it effective for people who perhaps are on the other side? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I, I do think there's a natural sort of disinclination uh, to believe like outsiders, particularly from the North coming in and like and like sort of telling telling people like it is like I, I think it's you know it's that way a lot of places certainly that way in New Hampshire but I think particularly in the south and particularly with northerners coming in and particularly when race is involved I mean I think there's you know on the part of some people sort of a resistance and a, a sort of well of course they're going to come up with something uh, but they don't. They don't get it. Yeah. Um, so it it, does, it wouldn't surprise me if some if if people who had that mindset listen to this and be like, yeah, you know what? If I spend a year in somebody's town, I could dig up a lot of shit about them too. Uh, and just if I just want to tell one side of an argument, you know, I, I I think that's that would be the response. But you but you do you hear that, you know that little brief moment when they interview that cop Vince who's mm. like didn't happen you know like that dude's not listening to this and he's a dick like, oh my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god I can't believe that I've been on the wrong side all, all this time right no it's like <laughs> these fucking you know people come down from Minnesota or wherever and they're telling us how to do our business and they can fuck right off they'll be gone mm-hmm. and we'll still be here yeah, yeah. Uh, so they think yeah so Kevin I wanted to ask you a style question mm-hmm. I noticed a change in style in this final episode, the end, where there was suddenly a very Westworld-like scoring, where all of the in-the-dark theme music was suddenly played on a piano, which was sounded very different to me. Did you notice that at all, or was that just No, me? that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about something else that Madeline does that she doesn't do in any other episode. Um, she follows Curtis's parents to their prison visit, which, of course, right. doesn't happen because the prison's on lockdown. Right. But then she does something that she never does in any other episode, which is she imagines something that she d- hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. She doesn't use, f- you know, fact-based digging up. She just sort of tells mm-hmm. us what will happen if Curtis Flowers appeals don't work. She describes Curtis Flowers' potential execution to us. 
What did you think of that section of the episode? Uh, I thought it was very good. I, you know, it made me. I, I probably, I, su- I suppose that the whole uh, trip in the car for, for her was just just to set that up, just mm. to set up that scene that they'll come one more time, um, and that's and if if uh, if Doug Evans has his way, she's, they're going to go to a different building yeah. and watch the watch the execution. And it, you know, it, it's sort of the first time they really talked about, you know. The reality of the end there—that uh, you know, we we all know he's on death row, but you know, to kind of lay it out like that in sort of the presence of his loved ones, um, you know, was uh, was powerful. Uh, Laura, the the one line that really struck me was when Madeline asked Curtis's his parents, "When is the last time you touched your son?" Uh, that was absolutely heartbreaking um, as a parent to hear something like that. And to hear just their dedication and that, you know, they went the first and third Tuesday of every month. They might have missed three weeks. Um, And then if he was good, I think, what was it, every like three months they could go in the same room, but there was a line across the table. I mean, just heartbreaking. The, you know, humanity of the situation is just it's just too much to listen to something like that. But, you know, as as discouraged and disheartened as I am by the justice system, to hear that Curtis still has faith and that he's still clipping recipes and watching the cooking channel and sending recipes home to his mom to cook when he gets out is good for him. I mean, I don't know if I could keep that attitude after everything that he's been through. Yeah. Well, I want to bring back an old school thing we used to do on this podcast a long time ago. I think we've all agreed many times as we've talked about in the dark season two. I mean, at least 10 times now because we just talked about episode 10 and 11. Uh, We used to we've all agreed it's a thumbs up, a rousing thumbs up. This is a great true crime, justice oriented reported podcast. But I want to bring back the grading system at this point. Season two is over. So I'd love to hear on a grading system, letter grade, pluses, minuses, the whole thing. What grade would you give in the dark season two if you were the professor of this course and had to give it a grade? <laughs> Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Oh, I always get to start. Um, I am going to go with like A plus, 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 plus. <laughs> and this is seriously, in terms of the level of reporting, the level of production, the different types of reporting, the fact that we have resolution to so many questions in the story. And this podcast has just been absolutely amazing. And if she doesn't get some, humo- you know, this team is not recognized journalistically for this, I'm going to be absolutely astounded because I am waiting to hear um, that something something comes from this because this has been absolutely just um, one of the best podcasts we've listened to, probably the best podcast we've listened to. Um, you know, sometimes we listen to podcasts where they say, and then we're going to look for something and they don't find shit. And she does because she goes and finds 30 Willie James hemp pills. Um, so I say super A pluses. Um, really good. Toby Ball, if you had to give this podcast a letter grade and let our listeners know how you feel, how you would grade it as a professor of podcasts, where do you stand at this point in the semester, at the end of the semester? Well, I, you know, I think it comes, you know, and I don't know if it's at the end, but it, it's somewhere along in a string of what I feel like are really, really strong podcasts that we've listened to, you know, in the past few months, uh, like West Cork and Missing and Murdered season two, and I don't know, there's a few others in there. Um, uh, Bikram, I think. Um, but 
you know, I think this this stands above them overall. Um, and I think there's there are certain things that those other podcasts may have done, uh, like this bit or that bit, that that stood out in a way maybe more than the way that it was done in this podcast. But I think a combination of just like the 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 sheer power of and of the reporting, and not just that she. I mean, they, she just went at it from so many different angles. Like her team went at it from so many different angles, uh, including just sort of dogged like shoe leather stuff, but then also the data journalism, uh, recreations. I, I, it was just it was pretty comprehensive. So I would, I would give it an A plus, and um, it, it, it's probably the best thing that we've we've listened to as a podcast. And if it's if it's not, I don't know what is really. Mm, yeah. But it's definitely, it's on the Mount Rushmore, certainly. It is on the Mount Rushmore. I would put it on the Mount Rushmore myself, right next to Serial Season 1, which, by the way, uh, I was on a talk show this week where I got to talk about podcasts, and I had to talk about Serial Season 1 as sort of the granddaddy podcast and pull some clips from it. And I remembered why it was that that is the podcast by which we measure all other podcasts, just listening to parts of it again. This podcast is very different. It is not Madeline's story. It is not a first-person narrative exploring a case. It is an in-depth journalistic dive into a very, very important story. This story is emblematic of so many things that are wrong with the American justice system. That are so many things that are wrong with race in America, with inequality in America. And it is just reported so perfectly there are moments in this podcast kevin and i have talked about this and like in our kitchen where it's like flaws we hear they got new information and you can hear where they did new tracking and like edited it in or sometimes the music is like a little bit too loud compared to the tracking or whatever like little things we hear that we're like oh maybe we'd give it like the russian judge like a minus <laughs> point one for that you know fuck that i'm not giving it minus anything because what this sh- podcast accomplished isn't just giving the listener a complete story it's also dare i say entertaining it is dare i say uh compelling if i weren't listening to it to review i would listen to it anyway because i'm enjoying the experience of listening to it it's just damn good it is a damn good podcast and i think that if it does not get curtis flowers off of death row it will be the record for what happened to this man And if it does not win a Peabody and every other damn journalism award offered in America to podcast, maybe a Pulitzer, I don't know. I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, I've said Pulitzer. So I am like Laura Bricker and like that teacher in uh, the dream that that kid had in a Christmas store. I am an A plus, 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 plus. Kevin, what about you? There's a better journalist out there than Madeline Barron, but I don't know what her name is. There's a more impactful podcast. I just can't think of what it would be. Um, this is an A+. plus. It's on a level all its own. It's one of the few podcasts that maximizes the medium. It's a story that fills the space and uses all, it needs six to eight hours of being told to fulfill it. It's prepared immaculately. Um, you can't say they didn't do enough work on anything so it definitely, I, I agree with Toby, it's on the Mount Rushmore. It deserves to be compared with Serial favorably, but where it veers off from Serial, it's not a mystery 
journal. Mm -hmm. It's investigative journalism, and it's done extremely well. It's an A-plus listen, just like the A-plus night sleep I got on my Brooklyn sheets. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm sure Madeline Barron is listening right now, and she's like, That well, was so good. Kevin's so review is so moving. Until he did that ad transition. So tell us about Brooklyn and Sheets, Kevin. Oh, my goodness. It's summertime, and we're hit, getting this heat wave, and the first thing you want to do is pull off the old sheets and put on the new ones, and we got we put on the Brooklyn and... Crisp and cool. Crisp and cool. Cool is the other side of the pillow. Well, it doesn't matter. The other side, both sides of the pillow are cool, Rebecca, <laughs> because they have Brooklyn and pillowcases. It's been named the winner of the best online betting, cate- betting category by Good Housekeeping. Brooklyn is the fastest growing betting brand in the world, boasting over 20,000 five-star reviews. Don't you think, Rebecca, that this is like hotel quality betting? Oh, totally. And one of the things that happened this week, Kevin, I don't know if you saw in our Facebook group, there was a whole discussion oh, about sure. ads on our podcast. Yeah, Rebecca, what do you really, really like? What have you actually bought from the podcast? What do you like? All of the listeners that responded, like most of them were like, Brooklyn and Sheets, Brooklyn and Sheets, Brooklyn and Sheets. Everybody loves these sheets just as much as we do. We love these sheets. Yeah, Brooklyn and Sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets that we have slept on. Brooklinen.com has an exclusive offer for my listeners. Just my listeners, apparently. <laughs> Get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code CWO, CWO. at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident that they offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee and a lifetime warranty on all of their sheets and comforters. The only way to get free shipping is to use promo code CWO at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code CWO. Brooklinen. These are the best sheets ever. What else you got, Kevin? Well, okay, we've already established heat wave here in New England. Oh, my God. You're literally wearing underwear. Right now. That's yes. all you're wearing. Yes, but I'm super comfortable. You want to know why? Why? Can look close. What kind of underwear is it? Tommy John. It is. Oh, damn. Okay, ladies, you're just going to have to visualize. No. What it's <laughs> No, okay. Just just visualize it on your own husband. I'm going to say that if I were down in sweaty Mississippi, yes. I would definitely want to be wearing my Tommy Johns. They've got new men and women's cool cotton underwear. It's perfect for the season. Um, it keeps you two to three times cooler and dries four to five times faster than normal cotton. Hmm. And just like all Tommy John underwear, cool cotton never rides up. Take a look. Is it riding up? I I don't want to look. I'm just going to look with one eye. Yeah, it's not riding up. <laughs> Stick to your plans, not your clothes, with the new cool cotton from Tommy John. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash crime for 20% off your first order. By the way, this is another item that Rebecca tried once on the podcast and then spent oh no she's pulling him out so oh yes you have tommy john's on too that's all i wear now yes love them you bought a bazillion pairs Sorry, after that i did all right this is what we spend our money on Go to- <laughs> <laughs> you can still get the deal though tommyjohn.com slash crime for 20 percent off your first order that's tommyjohn.com slash crime crime all right, now it's time for a hair part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, the of the week. It was a terrible car accident outside of Johannesburg. The paramedics diagnosed the female driver as dead at the scene and transported her body to a South African morgue and placed it in the fridge. When a worker came to check on the body, you guessed it, she was still breathing. The paramedics claimed the patient showed, quote, 
no form of life, and an executive at the ambulance company says their crews are properly trained and there is no proof of any negligence on their part. Interestingly, this is not the first time this has happened in South Africa. Media reports say other patients have been discovered alive at the morgue, including one who woke up screaming on a slab. So question uh, for the panel, what do you think this woman's first words were when she, quote, came back from the dead? Laura Bricker, what do you think her first words were? Is this now? Is this real? (laughs) (laughs) Very, very good, Laura Bricker. Excellent Westworld reference. Toby Ball, what do you think her first words were when she came back from the, quote, dead? It's cold as fucking here. (laughs) (laughs) Kevin Flynn, what about you? Not dead yet. (laughs) Um, I think she probably said, look, I know this was really bad, but considering where I am, what's the worst that could have happened? (laughs) You know what I think her first words were? What? When the hell is Serial Season 3 coming out? (laughs) All right, Laura Brigg, before we wrap up the podcast this week, do we have a cat of the week? We do. Oh, my God. I have to tell you, this was my favorite thing. I watched it over and over. I'm going to watch it again now. Cindy Pasca and her cat, Indy, sent me this nice... I would like to nominate myself for Cat of the Week. (laughs) What the... I think Laura Bricker is the best crime writer on... (laughs) (laughs) So, Cindy, well played. And her cat, by the way, looks exactly like my cat Felix. So it's it's not a stretch. Um, So nice job, Cindy. That's right. That animated cat nominating itself. I agree. It deserved to win. So, Laura Bricker, people want to send you their Snapchat or other weird ass videos of their animals nominating themselves to be pet of the week. How can they find you online? Perhaps on Twitter at Laura Bricker. And Joey Ball, people want to reach out to you and perhaps, uh, I don't know, support you in your desire to persecute those who want to prosecute death penalty cases with no evidence. How can they find you online? I don't think they're going to be able to fit that into a tweet, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> but it's at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, who want to reach you on Twitter, how can they find you? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at RebLavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. Just go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and subscribe to Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime at checkout and then you will get a free month and you also get access to our exclusive Stitcher Premium show, Married with Podcast. You can also support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and when you do, you will get access to Toby's Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This podcast was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, a.k.a. the closet in our basement that's actually way too clean and mold-free to store any Mississippi law enforcement documents. On behalf of the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. It's an A-plus listen. Just like the A-plus sleep I got last night on my bed linen sheets. Brooklyn? You mean Brooklyn? Me, I screwed that one up. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. I have to take it again. Yeah, just like that.
Amazing in crime, crime media. media. Kind makes delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients. Now you can try 20 Kind snacks with 20. our new snack pack. Enjoy 50% off and free shipping on your first snack pack when you subscribe to it through Snack Club, Kind's monthly snack subscription service. Go to kindsnacks.com slash Crime, crime for more details. That's kindsnacks.com slash crime. crime to learn more and subscribe to the snack pack.